Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. This is the first Sunday in April. Oh my gosh, where's the time going? <clears throat> and don't you know, snow. After a springtimey March, we get snow. Oh, you need them. Yep, I got them. You got them? I slid right yeah. in there and got them. <laughs> Great. Well, okay. What we've been talking about is why we're in the mess we're in. So we've kind of been through the family tree, which, again, is like the family bush, a little bit like Bedford County. <laughs> All the families crossing over and everything, but there are certain lines that we need to pay attention to. In Ham's generations, um, we need to continue to pay attention to Mizraim, who is Egypt, um, a northern Africa, and um, through Mizraim, we have the Philistines, which the Romans renamed the Palestinians, which is not true. They are Philistines, okay? And they are from Ham's descendancy through Mizraim, who is Egypt, okay? The other line is Canaan. Canaan is the one that Noah spoke the curse over. And Canaan's people inhabited what is now Israel. Um, that's, that was their main grounds all the way over um, to the Jordan. And um, so Canaan and his descendants filled up that area. So those are two um, of the family lines that we need to pay attention to. Um, the other family line that we need to pay attention to is um, in Shem. <clears throat> and one of Shem's kids' names was Arphaxod. And through Arphaxod, <clears throat> we got Eber. And Eber is the father of the Hebrew people. Okay? That's Abraham's line. Abraham is, was a Hebrew. And um, so you have Shem, who, according to Jewish scholars, was still alive when Abraham was alive. That Shem is actually Melchizedek, who is the uh, patriarch of the family, of course, the go between for his family and God, because this is before the law. And that's why Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because Jesus is outside of the law too. He is the patriarch. Okay? And so he is the go-between between God and man. Shem was the patriarch of his family at the time. He was the high priest or the go-between between, between um, <clears throat> God and, and his people. So it would have been natural for Abraham to bring tithes and offerings to Melchizedek because he was the patriarch of the family. So, you need to understand then through Shem to our Arphaxod to Eber to Abraham. Okay? Abraham is a Hebrew. That's the line you need to pay attention to. The other lines got really blurred because from all three sons the families just spread and they intermarried and um, so you find even um, um, 
you find even one of uh, uh, Seth's kids moving out to um, the place where Nimrod was building his empire. Asher actually helped build Nimrod's empire. So, I mean, you know, uh, some of those generations just mixed up. But this is the deal. There is a spirit, a, a spirit that influences the people of that region. It's a spirit of Antichrist. And that spirit is Satan himself. And we get that picture in Ezekiel 14 where he says, I will be like the Most High God. I will build my throne, you know, above the, above the mountains. I will build my throne, you know, above the, the, the throne of God. I will be, I will be worshipped. <clears throat> so that rebellion is what started it. That rebellion is in Satan. Pride in the sense that he is driven for power and worship. Power and authority. There is um, a hatred, an innate hatred for the things of God. Okay? And then there's this warlike, belligerent attitude. Rebellion on every, uh, on every turn. And that spirit just seems to pop up along the way wherever he can find someone who will allow it to work. So Nimrod was one of the biggies. And he was the one who built the first empire ever. And it was ruled by men, not by God. And Nimrod was the man who introduced polytheism. And so the polytheism from Nimrod's seed spread all over the Middle East. Any people who would bow their knee to a foreign god besides the creator of the universe was a candidate for Satan to use in his war against the seed of the woman, which started in Genesis. So in the beginning with Ham and Shem and Japheth, they all knew about... Yahweh. They all knew about Yahweh. Exactly right. And he was the only one in the beginning that was worshipped. Right. That's exactly right. When they got off the boat, it was God and God alone. And every one of those generations had the opportunity to stay with God and worship God alone. Or they could go off into polytheism, which is what Nimrod started. You know. Um... So when you're talking about this spirit, it's never gone away. It just works in, um, like in Ephesians 2, it works in the children of disobedience. Um, let's just start in Ephesians 2. Because the, this is the picture of it. I do not have an amplified with me. Has anybody I got do. their amplified? Okay. Here. I'm going to let you read it. Here, you read it. Okay, I read it. I'm going to read Ephesians 2 from the Amplified. And you he made alive when you were dead. This is verse 1. Slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world and were under the sway of the tendencies of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of that demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience. The careless, the rebellious 
See that attitude, the rebellious attitude? And the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. All those that hate the purposes of God, the rebellious, the proud, they all listen to the spirit of Antichrist. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. Any of the people in the Middle East who have not bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ are subject to that influence. The spirit of the prince of the power of the air. Antichrist. Rebellion. Pride. Okay. And a hatred for the things of God. And that spirit has hovered right in that area since the creation of the garden. And it started right there in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And they fell for the same reasons. God said don't eat of the tree. It was rebellion right away. We're going to eat of that tree. Um, God says you will be like me. But they wanted to be God. And, and Satan told them you'll be gods. You'll be, you know, you'll be gods. So they ate of the tree. You know, and, and when their eyes were opened it was too late. So that spirit started there and God prophesied about Jesus coming, the Messiah, through the seed of the woman. And he has very skillfully, very carefully paralleled all of his religions with that in mind. So that with Nimrod, his wife, you know, after Nimrod was killed, his wife snuck around and got pregnant and had a baby and said, this is Nimrod resurrected from the dead. And we're going to call him Tammuz and worship him as the sun god. Tammuz ends up even being talked about in um, the book of Ezekiel. God is utterly disgusted that even part of Israel is worshiping Tammuz. So that, that spirit never went away. And so it started with Nimrod and it continues to spread. And this polytheism, when you get to the polytheism thing, you are, you are playing right into the devil's hands. Because you turn immediately against those who are faithful to the one true God. Okay? It's just the way it is. So now we want to talk about Abram. And I want to show you a little map. I couldn't print these off big enough. But it's a picture of the Middle East and the red lines outline what was supposed to be the land that belonged to Israel. Belonged to Abraham. They never, ever came close to um, attaining all that belonged to them. It goes way over on the other side of Iran and Iraq. And, and uh, um, I mean, it's huge, this land. All the way down to Saudi Arabia, over into, um, I mean, all that land. I looked at it, and my first thought was it's almost a square. And I, I would love to um, find um, a map key somewhere to find out if it's 1,500 uh, cubits square because that's where God's going to set New Jerusalem. So I wonder if it actually is 1,500 cubits square. Hmm. 
Um, it, it looks like it could be very easily. Um, when you think 1,500 miles, just miles, not cubits, but, you know, 1,500 miles, I mean, it's 1,500 miles square is what the New Jerusalem is in mileage. So you think about, that would put us clear over past the middle of the United States, you know, all the way down to the end of Florida from here, all the way over to the middle of the United States, 1,500 miles you know, you're you're looking at a big swath of land. That's really how big Israel was supposed to have been. That's the land that God promised to Abraham. And when you read in Scripture, we won't go there. Um, well, let's do go there. Go to Genesis 12. Go to Genesis 12. Because I want you to know exactly what God gave him. But don't you see how New Jerusalem could come down and just sit right on that? But Israel never took care of business. They never did what God told them to do. And they paid the price. Um, Alright, look at uh, Genesis 12. Um... see where I want to start. Well, let's just, let's kind of read through the covenant here, alright? Start with Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of the country from your kindred and from your father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son. And all their substance that they gathered. And the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth into the land of Canaan. That's the land where Canaan's family dwelt. All that area. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Sikkim and under the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Under your seed will I give this land. And there... He built an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. And he removed from there into the mountains and to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. Now that's just north of where Jerusalem is today. Those places. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He left Ur of the Chaldees. Ur is right there where um, the Tigris and the Euphrates is just east of where the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers come together um, at the south end and it's right in the area where the Garden of Eden was, uh, was established but that's where he started in that area alright go to Joshua 1 and Ur is in Canaan no, Ur is not. 
Um, okay. But that's where he started. Okay. He left Heron. Heron is moving over this way. He went from Ur to Heron okay. to, okay. to Bethel. Okay. 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 Joshua chapter 1. <laughs> I'm just swimming around like I don't know where I'm going. Okay, start with verse. Um, let's see. All right, yeah, start with verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and this people, into the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given unto you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness that is, um, and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates. So starting from the river Euphrates which is where that picture is that I just showed you, the map, from the river Euphrates. That is way over. That includes almost the whole Middle East. Okay? <clears throat> so he says, from the river Euphrates, <clears throat> all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea going down, to the going down of the sun shall be your coast. So what was supposed to be their coastline? The river, the Euphrates River, and the Mediterranean Sea. That was their coastline. Well, they never got past the Jordan. You know, for a little while they had land on the east side of the Jordan. <clears throat> but they weren't anywhere near the Euphrates River. They never got that far. They just sat down. Even when Joshua was, was yeah. God was telling them that you're old. Yeah. He was trying to tell the people you need to go. Exactly right. Died. Thank you very much. Exactly right. I was just thinking I was going to jump up and get some. But no, I have one. Thank you. <clears throat> it's just that dry, scratchy throat. What is that? <laughs> okay, let me put my map back. I don't want to lose that. But isn't that ridiculous? All the land that should have belonged to Israel and never did. It will one day. But it never did. Okay. So Abraham had the promise and he had the vision. From the river Euphrates all the way over to um, the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean. All that land, wherever he put his foot, that was his. So he left Ur of the Chaldees, which is by the Euphrates, and everywhere he put his foot, all the way across the Jordan to, well, north. He went north to what I guess would now be Syria to Haran, and then south down to Bethel. All that land was supposed to be his. <clears throat> then he gave birth to Ishmael. Sarah had given up on herself because she was getting up there. And she wanted a son. And she didn't want to wait on God to do it. 
So she told Abraham, take my servant Hagar and make me a son. Big mistake. But they did it. And then, 14 years later, Sarah had Isaac of her own. Alright? Both of these boys, go to Genesis 17. Okay. <clears throat> After Isaac is born, God shows up to speak to Abraham. And he reiterates the covenant. All the land I've given you, everything, the land that belongs to Canaan right now, will be your everlasting possession. Now look at verse 9. And you shall keep my covenant. Therefore you and your seed after you in their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. And your seed after you. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Okay. Um, um, now skip over to verse 24. And Abraham was 90 years old and 9 when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Okay. And the self same day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his house. At that point Isaac was not born yet. But Ishmael was raised and by the time they're 14 they've already been what eventually would be bar mitzvah but at the age of 12 they become men you know adults back then thank god we don't think that now oh my lord we got college kids that still need a passy um but at that stage at 14 Ishmael was well aware of the covenant that was set between God and Abraham. Okay? And um, if you back up to verse 21, he also knew this. Verse 21. My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto you at this set time in the next year. Who's talking? God. God is speaking to Sarah in this whole passage. She says, Sarah's going to have a child. You're going to name him Isaac. And this covenant, this promise of the land, I'm going to make between Isaac and myself and you. So Ishmael knew that. Ishmael was circumcised. He was raised in the worship of the living God. Okay? Ishmael had a choice to make. But Ishmael, whose mother was of the seed of Mizraim, 
Egypt, who was also related to the Philistines, was born with that rebellious spirit. Okay? And like so many people through the Bible, look at Ruth and look at... um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Ruth is a good one. She's a Moabite. One-on-one, every person could choose to worship the living God or not to choose to worship the living God. Could choose to enter covenant with the living God or not. Um, as a nation, didn't work that way. But one-on-one, anybody could choose to worship the living God. Ishmael chose to be rebellious. And he was. Um, go back to Genesis 16. When Hagar got pregnant with him, she got really haughty with Sarah. See, that rebellious spirit from Mizraim was already in her. And Sarah treated her badly. But this whole thing was Sarah's idea, right? So Hagar decided she was going to run away. And she ran into the desert, but God encountered her. Now, Hagar had no reason to doubt that there was a living God. Because he absolutely spoke to her. And made covenant with her and promises to her. And yet she chose to go back to Mizraim. Okay? Well, of course, she was invited to leave Abraham's, but she could have chosen to follow the living God. But she didn't. Okay. Look at um, um, ten is where I think. Start with verse six. Abraham said to Sarah, "Behold, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as it pleases you." And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, why do you come? And where would you go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your seed exceedingly. And it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. So God even names Ishmael. There is no excuse here for her not knowing the one true God, nor for Ishmael not knowing the one true God. But, and this is the description of him that gets him in trouble. He will be as a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. That word presence is the same idiom that we talked about last week. He will live in the face of his brothers. In your face. In other words, provocatively in your face. 
So he will live provocatively among his brothers. He is always going to be the troublemaker. He is always going to be the wild man. He is always going to be against every man and every man against his hand. That is the nature of the seed of Ishmael. And they will be like that. All the tribes, the, the innumerable people that Abraham's, I mean that God said he's going to have in his tribes will all be, you know, like we say Israel, we think of all the Jewish people. When you say Ishmael, you think all of the Arabs. Because that's who they are. And do they not have this attitude right now? They always do. Okay. So you would think that he could go back and be at peace with Isaac. But go to Genesis 21. With his brother, at least. Okay. Um, Genesis 21. Thanks. Start with verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck for I have been I have borne him a son in his old age and the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast the same day with that Isaac was weaned and Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian which she had borne unto Abraham mocking therefore she said to Abraham cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman will not be um, heir with my son, even Isaac. So the first thing she saw was Hagar and her son mocking Isaac. What would it have been if they were all rejoicing together and celebrating together? Would Sarah have thrown him out? I don't know. But he was mocking from the time that Isaac was a baby and tormenting. So that attitude and that spirit was inborn. And because of that, she was he was cast out. But now go to Genesis 21 again. Go to verse 13. God straightens it out. Because Abraham goes to God and he says, Do I throw out my 14-year-old son that I love? Because Abraham loved Isaac. He said, how am I going to throw him out? What am I going to do? And God says, you got to throw him out. Okay, you got to. Because he's the son of a bondwoman. And Sarah is the one that has born Isaac. She's the one, you know, and he's the offspring that is your full kin with Sarah. And she's, he's the one that will receive my inheritance. But... Look at verse 13. Also, the son of the bondwoman, I will make a nation because he is your seed. So, 
Isaac was, I mean, Abraham was heir. Yeah. Ishmael was heir to the covenant in that God promised he was going to make a great nation out of Abraham through Isaac. He says, I will also make a great nation out of Ishmael. But that great nation out of Ishmael has the very same heart that Ishmael had. The very same attitude. And that has not changed. And God, it is, and God knew that. Yep. And God knew that. That's exactly right. Um, he was proud and rebellious with a warlike nature and it still exists. A lot of his descendants uh, uh, are considered um, all the Arabian desert tribes. The Bedouins, you know, and um, uh, it's a good one. The Turks and all those tribes that live like they have for thousands of years. But they, you know, even though they're a great nation and could have built great things, they're still living the way they lived thousands of years ago. Warring all the time. Independent, fearsome, quarrelsome, and adventurous. Those are the words that were used to describe them today. Okay? And Satan has used that nature through the centuries to raise up a lot of dynasties that wanted to control the whole world. Dominate and destroy people that would not capitulate and bow their knee to him. That's the whole goal of what he's done. Okay. Ishmael's descendants. <clears throat> Ishmael and his mom left. And he married into the tribe of Mizraim. Okay. Mizraim is Egypt. So he married into the, to the Egyptian tribes. They were polytheistic. And he chose. Even though God had made those great promises to him. He chose to become polytheistic like the Egyptians that he married into. Okay? Um, and they actually are the seeds of the Assyrian people. Ishmael's descendants are the seeds of this, the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the first ones to develop terrorism. They're the ones that figured out terrorism. And that was the Assyrians are the ones that drove northern Israel out of the kingdom. Okay? Out of the northern kingdom. Now, here's the deal. Muslims today will agree <clears throat> that Abraham had two sons. They'll gladly agree to that. Ishmael and Isaac. But they say that Ishmael was the firstborn. Therefore, Ishmael is the heir to everything that God had promised. They completely discount all of Scripture. They completely discount all of the ancient writings. They completely overlook. And there's a lot of historical ancient writings from the Middle East that confirm Scripture. Okay? But the Muslims today have chosen to ignore that and to lift up their own nation as the great nation. And then Satan has come so far as to say things like, well, through a great war, the 12th Imam is going to rise up. That's why we have all these terrorist tribes today. They're all trying to bring on this big war 
And out of this war, the 12th Imam is going to rise up and destroy the Jews and the Christians. Isn't that paralleling what Jesus is actually going to do? Of course it is. But we haven't gotten there. But I just I want you to see that the seeds were planted with Ishmael. Okay. So now you've got Isaac and he has two kids with Rebekah. He has Esau and Jacob. Those two were fighting in the womb. You know, they couldn't even get along in the womb. They warred all the time. And um, so look at Genesis 25. Okay, look at verse 21. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. That word struggle can mean warred against each other. Right there in the womb. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and the two manner of the people will be separated from your bowel. The one people will be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when the when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. What did he say? The first shall be the servant of the last and after that came his brother out and his hand took hold on Esau's heel um, and his name was called Jacob and Isaac was three score years old when she bare them Isaac was 60 okay so you have the picture of these two sons warring in her womb before they were even born the oldest one comes out first and God says he will be the servant to the younger well, Esau was born with great rebellion in his spirit. He even sold his birthright for a pot of stew. He had no care for his birthright, for his place, you know. He had no care for any of that. Um, it was all about satisfying his own flesh. Um, and um, there came a point when, um, when Esau came into full rebellion, um, and he actually married one of the daughters of Ishmael. He married the Hittites and he married into the daughters of Ishmael. Um, and he did it to irk his parents. Look at Genesis 28. Well, yeah, Genesis 26. Go to Genesis 26 first. Two verses, 34 and 35. Are you ready? And Esau was 40 years old when he took his wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. So he married two women, both of them Hittites. Canaan's kids. Which were a grief of mind 
to Isaac and to Rebekah. Esau's choice, he knew and he chose to be rebellious. He chose to be rebellious. Okay? Um, now go to Genesis 28. Okay. Look at verse 1. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You will not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Amram to the house of Bethuel, your father's mo your mother's father. And take a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. That you may be um, that you may be a multitude of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you that you may inherit the land where you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. And Isaac went away. Um, Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram unto Laban, the son of Bethuel. We know that story. Okay. Verse 6. When Esau saw that Isaac was blessed, had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandan Ram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You will not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. That Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Pandan Ram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, See, Isaac had already gone ahead of his dad and married two women who were Hittites, daughters of Canaan. Jacob did it. Jacob waited and got and and Abraham. I mean, Isaac sent him away to get a wife from the line of Shem. Okay. When Esau saw that and how much it irked his dad that he had married two Hittites, look what he does. Then went Esau unto Ishmael. And took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So the two men split right there. Um, Jacob went with his father's orders and married into the line of Shem. Um, Esau had already rebelled and muddied the race, the, the family line, by marrying Hittite women. And when he saw how that irked his parents, then he went even further. And he went right in. Yes, in your face. In your face. And he deliberately went and married. And you find out later in Genesis 36 that the girl that he married was actually the daughter of Ishmael. Do you know what? This is really better than days of our lives. I <laughs> think it is too. If it be televised, oh, as a, I mean, yeah, as a, it would. You're exactly right. As a series, you're exactly it's right. Incredible. Yes. The first soap opera, huh? Oh, my. Yeah, you know, that is exactly right. And it's our, it's our heritage. And it's where the world's going. Exactly right. 
Now, there was a point when Esau and Jacob came together to bury their parents. Okay. You know, and they sort of buried the hatchet. You remember Jacob sent all kinds of blessings to <laughs> Esau. Esau said, yeah, because he was afraid of him. And Esau said, no, God, you know, I, I've got the blessings. My, you know, that covenant, God's blessed me. But all the time he's saying God's blessed me, he's worshiping other gods. You know. Didn't Ishmael come back to help bury? You know what I mean? Like well, they did. That's what I'm saying. Eventually, eventually, Jacob and Esau came together to marry to bury their parents. Mm. But the thing of it is, is that the that the hatred between them never went away. But because Ishmael and Isaac never came back together. Oh no! But, he, but okay. I mean, I'm, but it's just funny. No, they always come together to bury bury, bury yeah. the parents. Yeah. That's exactly you right. It and then you never hear. About That's right. exactly right. <laughs> That is exactly right. It's hard to follow all of it. It is. It's terrible. Okay, now we're going to kind of fast forward through Jacob. Jacob and his 12 sons, no matter how wicked they were, continued to worship the one true God. Now the thing about it is, you think, well, as bad as his sons were, they even sold Joseph into slavery. You know, how bad can you get? They murdered a bunch of men who had just Diana. entered into covenant. Yes, over Diana. They, they who had just entered into a covenant with um, their dad. As bad as they were, God did not hold sin against them because the law had not been imputed. When the law is not imputed, there is no, you know, sin is not imputed. When there is no law, sin is not imputed. The Ten Commandments had not been given. So sin was not imputed. I always wondered about that because that was brutal. What they terrible, did. deceitful, and right, and murdered them. That's and, right. But there was no law. The law had not been given, so sin was not imputed. The covenant, the blood covenant between Abraham and God, overruled everything. The covenant stood no matter how evil these men were because the law had not been given yet. The Ten Commandments were a long way off. About 500 years off, the Ten Commandments were. So that's not just Jacob's son. That's everybody. There was no sin imputed to anybody. Right, not to anybody until the not Ten Commandments were given. Not to any of these characters and all right. they've done. Not even to the Israelites who built the golden calf in the desert because they had not received the Ten Commandments yet. Sin was not imputed to them then. Nobody lost their life over that. God held on to it, but nobody lost their life over that because the Ten Commandments had not been given yet. But as soon as the Ten Commandments were in their hands, buddy, the next thing you know, the ground opens up and swallows about several thousand, 3,000 the first time. Swallowed 3,000 the first time after the law had been given. You want to hear a cool fact? Right after the Ten Commandments were given, 3,000 people were swallowed up by the earth and destroyed. Right after Jesus raises from the dead, is born, you know, goes to heaven and the apostles are filled. When the church is born, 3,000 are saved the first day. Yeah, is that cool or what? Coincidence? I don't don't think so. None. (laughs) But anyway... Jacob ends up going into Israel. Seven, I mean, into Egypt, into Mizraim of all places. For 430 years. Okay. 70 people go in. 3 million come out. 
Seventy went in. Jacob's family. Seventy people went in. Three million, give or take a few, came out. Okay? Now, while they were in Egypt over 430 years, yes, they knew God. Yes, they knew of the covenant. But they had... Um, become a part of Israeli, I mean, of Egyptian culture. And they worshipped other gods. The first sign you get of that is when they, even after God has done all these miracles, finally delivers them out of Goshen. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He's gone 40 days. Before he can get back with the Ten Commandments, what's the first thing they do? They build a golden calf. But wasn't that to be an image of God? No, no. No. The golden calf was the most important God in Egypt. His name is Apis. And he was the God that was the go-between between humans and Osiris. Osiris is the God of death. So Apis was like the go-between to defend the people against death <clears throat> and um, and they panicked right when Moses didn't and come they right back. panicked and they built that God and worshipped it so you know right away that if that's the first thing they did it was in their um, spirit in their mind in their understanding in their wheelhouse their belief system to worship other gods and they didn't think they'd done anything wrong uh, Moses taught them a little different. But. So you know what that tells you. All along those people were worshipping Moses, not God. Yeah. Because when Moses was absent, they sought another go-between. they could, yep. They, they didn't ever go directly to God. No. They went to Moses. That's it. They never had learned to totally trust God. And that's exactly right. And that was the heart of the problem there. So God <clears throat> had to turn them back into the desert for 40 years. So this this Ten Commandments, the calf, that happened early on in their... Oh, yeah. I mean, just like within weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Within weeks of crossing over. Like you said, after all those miracles. Right. Right. And they knew that, God, but they were perfectly all right with worshiping all the gods. So you just add one more. What's Yahweh to everybody else? You just throw them in the mix. You know, and they were afraid of dying in the desert. So who are you going to call up? They don't know Yahweh personally. Mm-hmm. So who are you going to call up? You're going to call up Apis, the God that stands between you and Osiris, the death God. So God realized He was going to have to keep these people out. They didn't have the faith to go in and take the territory. But this is just kind of a funny little point here. I'm going to show you this, then we're going to quit. Um, <clears throat> Go to Exodus 13. Because, you know, we talked about the fact that the promised land now, they're going to go in and take, is full of Canaanites and Philistines. The Philistines, who were descendants of Egypt, had taken up that whole northern border of Saudi Arabia, what is now Saudi Arabia, and moved into the Gaza Strip right there on the southeast corner of Israel. They had filled up that area and then moved south all the way across to the southern tip of the Dead Sea. That's where the Philistines were living. Okay. So the Philistines were such warriors 
such angry men full of rebellion that God did not want the children of Israel to see them. You often wonder, why did God take them south in the peninsula of Saudi Arabia and way down around the bottom before he ever took them up to the promised land? Go to um, Exodus 13. I'm going to explain it to you right now. Because the nature of this people has never changed. Now, this is a thousand years later, okay? This is a thousand years after Abraham. And the Philistines are still Philistines. Now watch, look at Exodus 13. Look at verse 17. And when it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up um, harness out of the land of Egypt. Okay. He did not let them go up the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula and into Gaza and right into the Promised Land from the south because it was full of Philistines. And they knew the minute they saw the Philistines, the Philistines would be at war with them. And eventually it turned out that way anyway. Twice, Moses asked, sent word and said, will you let us you know, just cross your land. We're not going to stay. We just want to cross your land. And they said, absolutely not. And not only that, then they went out and tried to attack them. Of course, Israel took care of them. You know, God helped them defeat them. But they always were warriors. And God was not even going to let them see war until he was ready for them to go in and take the promised land. So he let them way, let them way south, away from the Philistines, because the Philistines had that same rebellious attitude. They worshipped other gods. They were full of hatred and anger. They were against every man and every man against them. The line, the attitude was always there. Okay. And those Palestinians now, which is not what they are, they're Philistines, are still the same way today. That's why you can't make a peace treaty with them. You know, they're not Palestinians. That was a name given to them by the Romans just to irk the Jews. Okay, they are Philistines. And they were warriors way back when um, the children came out of Egypt. And they are still warriors, rebellious and angry, full of hatred for the seed of God. You know, for the seed of the woman. Full of hatred. And... um. It is never going to change. There's never been a land, a nation, or a state that was independently governed called Palestine. It has never existed. And it never will. It never will. Okay? Um, so th we're going to leave it at that point right now. That um, Israel's about to come back into the land... But right off the bat, you have all the descendants of Ham. You have all, um, you have Ishmael's descendants. You have um, Esau's descendants all hooked up together now in this conglomerated family tree that have the same attitude and the same rebellious heart. Um, so Israel is going back into a hard place. 
Today's the second? Third. Third. Woo. All right, we're going to stop right there then and pick it up. But if you, if you get anything out of this teaching, this is what you have to know. There isn't a president of the United States that can be elected that can solve this problem. There isn't any kind of a human being on the face of the earth that can take care of this problem. It is all spiritual warfare. It is all demonic and it is all only defeated by the prayers of the saints. By the word, the sword of the spirit, by the prayers of the saints. And until we get real serious about it, nothing's going to happen. You know, we are the ones that hold back the spirit of Antichrist. We're it. So as long as we're not real serious, our country's wide open for the hatred of the enemy to come in here. And um, so we need to start thinking about that and um, thinking about where what our role is, what our part is in this. Um, but it is not a man-on-man material, physical battle. There's nothing about it that's rational. It is completely irrational. And there is no way that you're going to quell the hatred of those people. No way. Because it is inborn in them and it goes back thousands of years. Thousands of years. So, just just a little bright note for you at the end of the thing. Praise the Lord. I just keep thinking, God, you are still in control. And there's going to come a time when he's going to put the hooks in the jaws of all those enemies and bring them right to Israel. And then he's going to cook them all like little crispy critters. And um, then we just better pray we're not here because that's when the seven years is going to start. So, you know, we, 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 but, but we know it's coming. You know, and, that, and that's the only way it's going to end. We can kill as many of them as we can kill. And the hatred, the seeds of the hatred will still be there. Still going to be there. Okay, let's just pray here and get this over with. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.